Well, Christmas Eve in 1906 was pretty ordinary by most measures. People were gathered in their homes. People who, who worked on ships were gathered there eating supper with a big old radio by their side. People who worked for the government were wrapping up their jobs, getting ready to go home. When all of a sudden, in these different places, a voice came out over the radio for the very first time. These people were used to hearing clicks. They were used to hearing pops and different ways to communicate. But all of a sudden, a big booming voice came over the radio and read this from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was also pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They heard these words boom across the radio. And they were a little shocked. And then all of a sudden, a violin came on the radio and began playing O Holy Night. And these were the very first words spoken over AM radio, and that song, O Holy Night, was the very first song played over AM radio for entertainment purposes. All because of a man named Reginald Fessenden, a former student of Thomas Edison, a university professor. And since that day when he came out over the radio and achieved this great accomplishment, nothing has ever been the same for us. That night, it was a historic night. Because in the midst of the ordinary, something extraordinary happened. And now we would say it was a historic night, but we probably wouldn't say it was a holy night. But what it did do is it pointed people back to that historic and that holy night in Bethlehem so long ago. That night that we've come together this afternoon to remember. And if you think about that night, that holy night in Bethlehem so long ago... I mean, it was pretty ordinary by most measures. People were gathered in kitchens making food. 
was a starry night. Houses were kind of crowded like they are right now as people were coming into town, but they were coming in town for a census that was decreed. And so there was a lot of hustle and bustle going on in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was actually a pretty ordinary city. It wasn't anything major. It wasn't on any kind of crossroads. And then if you look at the cast of characters that Luke tells us about, these people in the story, they're actually pretty ordinary people as well. You have the shepherds. That was a pretty low-paying job, pretty low-end people. They were always dirty and smelly, and they used to graze their sheep on other people's land, and so people didn't tend to like them. You had Mary. She was probably 13 or 14 years old, unwed, pregnant mother, there having her first child. She was poor, uneducated. Joseph, although his family was from the line of David, he didn't have any immediate royalty in his family. He was just an average carpenter. And these ordinary people on this ordinary night were probably feeling a lot of feelings like you and I would feel. They were probably frustrated that the government was making them do something they didn't want to do. They were scared because they were having their very first child and they were probably also excited excited at this new thing that was happening. And in the midst of all of this, Mary has a baby. And the baby is wrapped in swaddling cloths, just like babies have been in all cultures for all time. And she lays him in a manger, which actually wasn't an ordinary place for a baby. It was a feeding trough because there was no room for the baby elsewhere. That night from the outside looking in, looked pretty ordinary. But you and I know that that night was a holy night. And that night was a holy night because that night God entered into the ordinary and did something extraordinary. Now, sometimes that's lost on us because, you know, we have our manger scenes and we're kind of used to seeing all the characters and we're used to seeing baby Jesus and we can kind of think, you know what, this is all pretty normal. But you have to try to wrap your mind around it. That the God who created the universe, the God who upholds the universe, a God who's all-knowing and all-powerful, decided to enter our lowly, dark, and broken world so that he could save us. And it's pretty astounding. God entered into this ordinary world, and you know what, baby Jesus, he had, he had dirty diapers. He had accidents. He cried a lot. And growing up, a lot of people probably thought he was actually a pretty ordinary kid. But as he got older, more and more people realized this was no ordinary person. This was Emmanuel. This was God with us. This was something extraordinary. And Jesus had an extraordinary mission in life. And so as he lived, you know, he went around. And what's interesting to me is that he oftentimes hung out with ordinary people. I mean, the disciples he called to follow him were ordinary, average, uneducated people. And when he was doing crazy things like doing miraculous healings, casting out demons, all sorts of stuff like that, he would get mud and he would make a little mud patty and he would put it on people's eyes very ordinary thing, when he would teach people the extraordinary truths about who we are and who we were created to be, about how to love one another, as the song says, he would use everyday objects. He would talk about seeds and, 
and roads and people. He didn't use all these deep philosophical teachings. And Jesus, he stayed in ordinary places. He didn't live in a palace. He lived with friends. He lived with family. And his friends and people he came into contact with, they tended to like him. They tended to love him because the people who were open to Jesus and his extraordinary work, well, they were excited because when Jesus entered their life, God began to do extraordinary things in their lives. And over time, as more and more people were experiencing healing and transformation and new life, the religious authorities caught hold of it and the political rulers got a hold of it and they said, you know what, we need, we need to shut this down. We need to shut this down. And so if you know how the story goes, one day, ultimately, Jesus was crucified on an ordinary cross, which was the normal tool for punishment at that time. But God, in an extraordinary way, used what was meant for evil for good. And the judge of the entire world had stepped into the story and he took the judgment that we deserved upon himself. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He defeated sin. He conquered death. And he said to anybody who is willing to receive him and follow him, hey, you can be saved from your sins. You can receive new life. That's why I stepped into this world to do what you couldn't do for yourself. And when I think back to that very first night where Mary is holding baby Jesus in her arms, and I love what Luke says. It says she was pondering all these things. As she's thinking, you know what, Some of this, so much of this looks ordinary, but something profound is happening here. As she's looking at him and thinking about how God used somebody ordinary like her, she probably didn't think that God would continue to use ordinary people for his purposes in the world like her for the future. But that's what he did. And that's what he's done. That's his pattern. God loves entering ordinary people's lives and doing extraordinary work. And that's actually the history of the song, O Holy Night. In 1847, Placide Capot was busy drinking wine, selling wine, writing poetry, kind of what you imagine a French person might do all day, but it's not true. He was doing all that when the priest in his town came to him and said to him, hey, Placide, we'd love for you to write a song for our upcoming Christmas Mass. Now, Placide was, was a little shocked because he didn't go to church. He, he wasn't that type of person. But he was a little shocked, but he said, you know what, he was honored, and he said, I'll, I'll write a poem for the church. And so he, he began to read Luke chapter 2 and imagine himself in the story on that holy night. And he wrote down the words to the song that we now have. And as he was writing the words, he thought, you know what? This is, this is too good. I got to put this to music. And so he, he got his friend, Adolph Adams, who wasn't familiar with the Christmas story very much because he was actually a, of Jewish ancestry. He, he didn't really believe the Christmas story, but he said, you know what? I'll, I'll put it to music. And so he put it to music. And these two ordinary guys wrote this extraordinary song that has lived for a very long time. And what's interesting is that it began to catch on very quickly, but when the church leaders found out that Placide, this wine merchant, 
and Adolf, this guy who didn't have faith in Jesus Christ, wrote it, they began to ban the song from churches. And so people would just sing it in their homes. But even so, God, in an extraordinary way, kept the song going year after year after year. And now churches all around the world tonight are singing it and thinking about that holy night. God loves to enter the lives of ordinary people and do extraordinary things. But you know what's more profound than them writing this song, which we cherish, is that God wants to enter ordinary lives like yours and mine in the present. And he wants to continue to do his extraordinary work like saving people from their sins and being not just the savior of the world, but the savior of your world and my world. And I was thinking about this the other day when I was at Starbucks on Jonesboro Road. You know, it's in the midst of all the Christmas shopping, and I was working on my sermon. I said, you know what? If God entered the mess of this world, I can enter the mess of our world, and I can go fight the crowds. I can go sit in traffic. And so I was there with my Bible, sitting by myself, reading the passage, thinking about, okay, God, how do I, how do I tell this old, old story in a fresh way? And, and there was uh, two women next to me, one was younger, and she was talking about how she was broke this year. She'd spent all her money because the guy at the dealership had talked her into a huge car payment, and she needed to work some extra shifts for cash. And so they were talking. Over here, there was a husband and wife. They were on a date. It was very nice. And uh, he was showing her the stock market ticker, and I don't think she had seen it yet. And so they were talking about that. And now, look, don't judge me. I know y'all do this when you go places and people are talking to one another, right? You listen in. It's okay. It's a public place. You should expect that. So they're over there talking. Then there's a guy in the back. He was driving a Maserati. And I don't know if somebody hit it or what, but he started getting into a verbal argument with a guy in a pickup truck. And they started outside and moved inside and then back outside. And I was about to pull out my camera, you know, go Facebook Live for y'all. But I decided against it. I just said, I'm going to mind my own business right now. I was studying this passage. And as I was reading it again, I couldn't help but think about how God chose to enter our messy world and how God chooses to continue to enter our messy world in the brokenness and the darkness, how God wants to use people like you and like me, people who feel like they're low class, people who feel like they're high class, people who are so proud of themselves and people who feel like they're worth nothing, people of all races, people of all education levels, people of all statuses, God wants to enter into our lives and do the extraordinary work of saving people like you and like me. And to me, that is so profound. It's so profound that God would use someone like me for his purposes in this world, and God wants to use people like you for his purposes in this world. And there's really only one qualification or one thing you have to do and that is you have to acknowledge that you're in need of a savior that you're in need of someone to come and do something for you that you can't do for yourself because God actually went when he saves us he actually saves us through very ordinary means I mean it was an extraordinary work on the cross but now the way we receive God's power and his work in our lives is pretty simple. One is to just admit, admit that we're in need, that, that we've sinned in the past, 
that we've sinned against God. We haven't lived up to our own standards. We haven't lived up to his standards and just say, you know what, God, I can't make up for all the wrongs I've done in life. I need someone to do that for me. It's just to admit the need and then to ask Jesus to come and fill that need because that's what he came into this world to do. Jesus, his name means he will save his people from their sins. So what we have to do is ask him to come into our lives to forgive us, to save us, to acknowledge that he is, like the angel says in the story, the Lord, the Christ, the Savior of the world, and he promises that he will come in and he will save us. And then all we have to do is just allow him to work through us, to open up ourselves to him and say, you know what, you're the ruler of the universe, you know what's best, I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna obey you. And as you do those things, as you admit that you're in need, as you ask Jesus to come in, as you allow him to use you, he will use you for extraordinary things in this world. And as you continue to grow in your faith, he just uses ordinary things like gathering for worship, reading the Bible, prayer, and serving. He uses ordinary things like that to help us grow, to help us experience, as the song says, that new and glorious morn, the new life that he wants for each and every one of us. Tim Keller is a pastor of a church in New York, and he tells the story of how when he was a young pastor, he had a church in Virginia, and it was kind of a middle-class church, but they were in a low-income area, and so they felt challenged to go out and to reach the people around them. So one day, he and one of the leaders in his church, they just went to one of the houses that was nearby them, knocked on the door, and a woman answered it, and they began to sit and talk. And they found out from the woman's story that, that she was living with a lot of brokenness in her life. She had been mistreated by many men, and, and now she was living in, in poverty. She was raising kids without support from anybody else. And they sat and they listened to her needs, and as they did, they, they told her the good news of Christmas, that God is willing to enter ordinary people's worlds, our worlds, no matter how messy they are or how messy people perceive them to be. And that day, she said, you know what? You're right, I do need a savior. I do want Jesus to come into my life. And so she trusted in Jesus for salvation. She was forgiven and she experienced new life in Christ and she was so happy and joyful. And so they left and they came back a week later because that's how God works, through ordinary things like conversation. So they went back to just encourage her in her faith, to help her to grow. And when they got to her house, she opened the door and she just began to cry. She began to cry and tell them about how earlier in that week she called up her sister to let her know the good news. that She had given her life to Jesus. And her sister said, you're so foolish. You think God would want anything to do with somebody like you? Somebody who's done all that bad stuff in life? Somebody who's living like you are now? You think God would want a relationship with you and that you can just admit you have a need and ask him into your life? She said, I don't believe that's how it works. It can't work that way. I don't believe it and you shouldn't believe it either. So the woman was obviously discouraged. But that day, Tim Keller had the opportunity 
to sit down with her, to open up the Bible once again, and to help remind her, look, the work Jesus did was extraordinary. And now all we have to do is the ordinary thing of asking him to come into our lives, and he will redeem us. He will save us. He will forgive us no matter who we are and no matter what we've done. You see, it was so simple and so ordinary that her sister couldn't perceive it. She couldn't believe. But that's the good news. That God stepped into our messy, broken world at Christmas. He came just like everybody else. And he did something extraordinary. He made a way that we could be saved from our sins. And that good news brings great joy. And if you've never experienced that new life in Christ, my hope is that, that tonight maybe you'll come and you'll receive and you'll simply just open up your heart and ask him to come in. Admit you have a need. Ask him to forgive you and to come into your life and then simply allow him to use you. It's that basic. But sometimes in churches, we, we, we make it more complicated than that and we, we help people miss it. Because we have cool lights and we have great music and we have the decorations. And so sometimes we can think that, you know what, God, God works in some crazy, special, powerful, mysterious way. But a lot of times, the way God works is in the ordinary. It's simply through asking. And that's what we remember at Christmas. God enters the ordinary and does the extraordinary. And that's what we remember when we come to the Lord's table in Holy Communion. It reminds us that God enters into our lives through simple things like this bread and like this cup. And when we open up ourselves to God and allow him to work inside of us, he welcomes that, he comes, and he does extraordinary things. And so in just a minute when we share in Holy Communion together, I don't know if you feel like you're just weary and downtrodden today and you need hope. I don't know if you feel like you need forgiveness from something you've done recently or something in your past. Maybe you're just coming and you want to be filled more with the love of God in your heart. Maybe you've never experienced the new life like that woman experienced. Wherever you are tonight, Whoever you are, God invites you to come and simply give him your burdens. Give him your hopes, give him your fears, and he will enter into your ordinary life and he will do something extraordinary. Let's pray. God, in the silence and the stillness of this night, we remember that silent night so long ago when you came into our world and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. God, when you entered into our world to save us. God, we remembered, we remember that you didn't come with a crown, you didn't come with a throne, 
You didn't come into a palace. You came into this world. And we thank you for the work you did on the cross for us. We thank you for the way you showed us how to love one another. We thank you that even now, you're still at work in our world. And God, tonight on this Christmas Eve, we come before you. And we not only remember your son's birth, but we also remember that night before he died in which he took bread. He gave thanks to you and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And we remember that after the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, and he said to everyone, drink from this, for this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. God, we thank you for that sacrifice, and we thank you that you continue to make your presence known to us. You continue to enter our lives. You continue to forgive us and offer us new life. And so we ask tonight that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. God, that you would give us the courage to hand over the burdens that we're carrying, to admit that we have needs and to ask you to fill those needs. And God, we trust that you're at work. We trust that you're gonna meet us in these gifts of bread and grape juice and that you're gonna transform them to encourage us and to inspire us this Christmas. And so God, we ask that as each of us come tonight and receive, that we would receive you into our hearts and our lives once again. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray.